Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I want to explore the Victorian era and its influence on Michigan as well as Southwest Michigan and some of the things that were going on in the world at that time and some of the impact it had in this area. So come along and join me. So the Victorian era is defined as the period of Queen Victoria's reign. She was the English queen and she reigned from the 20th of June 1837 until her death on 22 January 1901. The period that preceded the Victorian era was known as the Edwardian period and what followed was the Georgian period. But the significance of the Victorian era was that the world had a profound amount of change during that time. Largely the whole of Europe as well as England and the United States changed from being small pockets of farming communities and agricultural areas to larger cities and and industrialized nations across Europe, in England, as well as the United States. There was also a strong religious drive for higher moral standards that were led by nonconformist churches such as the Methodists and the evangelical wing of the established Church of England during that time. You also see this period as the rise of the Quaker religion here which had a special influence on Southwest Michigan and particularly Battle Creek because there were many Quakers that arrived in the Southwest Michigan area. And the ones that were in Michigan were the ones that founded ultimately the Underground Railroad as a systemized form of helping fugitive slaves find their way to freedom in Canada during the area. But that's a whole separate story. But in terms of the religions, the Quaker religion was a large religion that moved into uh, Michigan, all across Michigan during that time period. And there's very few segments of that left in present day. There was also a large population shift that happened over in England as well, and the United Kingdom. There was an unprecedented demographic changes where the population of England and Wales, which doubled from 16.8 million people in 1851 to 30.5 million people by 1901. Scotland's population also rose from 2.8 million people in 1851 to 4.4 million by 1901. But on the reverse side of that, Ireland's population decreased sharply from 8.2 million people in 1841 to less than 4.5 million people by 1901. Ireland's population decrease was largely due to immigration to other countries. A lot of those Irish immigrants arrived here in the United States, and also partly due to the Great Famine, which is also known as the Potato Famine. The Great Potato Famine was a period between 1845 to 1849, which was a major historical social crisis within Irish society, and it had an impact across Europe as well. It was brought about by a blight that happened on the potato crops and it, it impacted the potato crops for several years, which resulted in well over 100,000 deaths across Ireland from starvation. And this period of time permanently changed Ireland. It's regarded even today as one of the most significant 
changes in Irish history. And it was all brought about by single crop dependence. That was the primary crop within the country of Ireland was potatoes. They had no other um, types of crops during that period of time that would help them sustain or uh, change the diet of people or anything like that. They were completely dependent on that entire crop. So it did um, result in changes afterwards where they had to implement different types of crops so that they could avoid this type of blight in the future. But that whole period of time, often called the uh, famine or the potato famine or the great hunger, when you look back at Irish history, it resulted in a lot of people leaving Ireland with their entire families for better places to survive. And America was one of those places that people took the journey across the water during that time period. So that was one significant incident during the Victorian era. Southwest Michigan during this time period was just beginning to be settled. The first colonial settlers coming from the New York area and the Pennsylvania area and from the east were beginning to arrive around 1831. And they were 10 years into settling the lower counties here in southwest Michigan during that time when the Great Famine happened over in Ireland. And as a result, when the wave of Irish immigrants started hitting the East Coast, it also kind of had an effect on pushing more people to move west. And there were several Irish immigrants that moved west as well. And so you have this influx of a lot of foreign nationals coming into Michigan during that period, as well as the um, there's a large Dutch settlement, for example, near Holland. And there's a lot of other uh, German settlements that came through. And so you also have the Irish influence across Michigan as well. Other significant changes that happened in the world during that time is that medicine changed dramatically during the Victorian period. Doctors started moving away from the tradition and mysticism approach towards a more science-based approach to medicine. And medicine advanced even more when they adopted the germ theory of disease. And they began pioneer research in epidemiology, that being the branch of medicine that deals with the control of diseases and the incidence and distribution and the possible control of diseases and other factors related to that research area of health. So those two factors really changed the dynamic of medicine and set the stage for the medicine that we are familiar with today. And of course, the germ theory helped to extend the life expectancy rate and improve people's ability to recover from illness at a higher rate than previous when they finally made that breakthrough in medicine. And as I mentioned earlier, industrialization came into being during the Victorian era. And this had changes in the world of agriculture tremendously. For example, here in Southwest Michigan, we have Advanced Thresher Company, as well as the Nichols and Shepherd Company that were building threshing equipment and all kinds of equipment for farming to improve the speed of agriculture. It was taking it from a period when harvest and crops were done by hand to a period where they were able to be done by machines and harvests were able to become larger, planting was able to be done on a larger scale, and all of this was being done in a shorter amount of time, which opened the doors to cities to be developed because suddenly the lifestyles were not becoming entirely dependent upon 
everybody involved in farming. There were cities became larger and other things began to change. You started seeing more of a literate sense in the culture. People began to read more. There was more culture. There was more schools being developed. Um, there were a lot of other professions that came into being with the rise of the industrialization period. And it took a lot of people out of the fields into the cities to become professionals in other spheres of work. And medicine advanced even more. Politics changed during that era. And the printing of books came into being. So printing presses were developed during the Victorian era and expanded upon. So suddenly you have printed newspapers. And there was the Battle Creek Printing Press Company that was here in the Battle Creek area for many, many years. And they developed and they built printing presses that were shipped all over the world during that period of time. And the publishing of books were a major change. And with the Industrial Revolution, it brought people more into seeking out higher education. And so you have a more of a massive level of people becoming educated. And you have Sunday schools developing with churches and you have more organized schools like elementary schools and high schools evolving and being formed that were raising the literacy level and informed individuals in the masses of people. In fact, during that period, the government in England started state funding of schools during the Victorian era. And the elementary school systems began to be developed here in the United States. Marshall played a significant role in helping to establish the school systems within the state of Michigan. And I've covered that on some of my other podcasts. And so during the 19th century, the publishing industry found itself catching up with the momentous changes in society, which brought about this industrial revolution. And it benefited from the introduction of electrical power, rail transport, and the telegraph line, sales of books and periodicals were fueled by the seemingly insatiable demand for knowledge that was coming up through the populations of people getting educated. And people were seeking self-improvement. And even the entertainment business in the world of literature was rapidly growing as the middle class was beginning to grow. And during this period of time, you see the writings of some of the classic fairy tales like the Brothers Grimm and the Hans Christian Andersen um, making their way into the printing press. It was also the time of Alice in Wonderland, you know, with 1865 being printed and published by Lewis Carroll. Other published works by William Macpiece Thackeray, Charles Kingsley, uh, George MacDonald, and a lot of other authors during that period of time in the Victorian era. And then there were also some divergent types of writing in Gothic fiction, where you have Robert Louis Stevenson's novella called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde being published. And that was published in 1886, and that was widely uh, spread around the masses of people reading, and it became a, a favorite of a lot of people. Also, Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray in 1891 had a similar fan base that uh, seeking all of these new revolutionary type stories in this gothic fiction that started coming out in the Victorian era. And then he also saw the beginnings of science fiction with H.G. Wells when he released The Time Machine, his famous book in 1895. Also, Jules Verne with 
20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And then there was also the detective stories with author Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes series, which were extremely popular when they were made available through the use of the printing press. And of course, we have Charles Dickens, which I'll get into a little bit more later. But Charles Dickens became a sensation across England and Europe, as well as the United States, largely due to the abilities of the printing press. Now, an interesting thing about this period of time is that the average person wasn't always able to afford to buy books. So there was this new concept of lending libraries created during the Victorian era. So you have the printing presses facilitating the purchase of books to be put into lending libraries in communities. And so libraries became something that was expanded and made more available to the general population than ever before during the Victorian period. Prior to that, they were usually exclusionary to the upper classes. This was a period of time when libraries became more available to the middle classes as the demand for literature and reading and this insatiable appetite for improved education and and consumption of anything that one could read. It also brings into a time period of newspapers. If you go through a lot of the early newspapers that were published in Michigan or across the United States, the type of publications were extremely different than what we're used to seeing today. It was very common back then for them to publish stories and including entire chapters from books. In fact, many of Charles Dickens' original works were published in newspapers around Europe one chapter at a time. In fact, he wrote David Copperfield and some of the other books, like A Tale of Two Cities, by releasing the books chapter by chapter into the newspapers. And it was only later that they were combined and put into book form and made available. And that's a very interesting thing that you see during that time period. So if you look at old newspapers, you will see entire chapters um, of books published as a regular part of the newspaper. It'll take up two or three pages sometimes. And then there'll be other news stories about what's happening around the world and crop reports. And um, advertising was entirely different during that period of time. It wasn't so bold and direct. It was more subtle and more worked into the stories. The display advertising that we we're so used to seeing in later newspapers didn't come into play until much later in uh, the Victorian era. But the early newspapers, it was all about uh, putting as much text as they can into the space of the newspapers they could and filling it up with things that people were interested in reading so that they could sell the newspapers. And so stories and literature found their way into the newspapers. And of course, entertainment during that time also changed. You have a lot more traveling shows as the development of the railroads happened. Railroads connected people across Michigan as well as it did all over the world as that whole technology came into being, you know, and the golden age of railroads in Michigan began around 1870. Even though railroads were as early as the 1840s in parts of the state, there was enough track laid across Michigan by 1870 that it was a significant change because it impacted entertainment. You had Broadway shows suddenly able to move west. And so you have across southwest Michigan, the development of all of these opera houses and theater locations. And one of the earliest opera houses in Battle Creek was the Hamblin Opera House. There were other ones over in Kalamazoo, and there was also a very popular one down in Coldwater. And all of these opera houses were developed 
around or within proximity to the railroads. So the traveling troops would travel from New York and they would go on over to Detroit via Pennsylvania on the railroads and they would go from Detroit all the way over to Chicago across lower Michigan. And there would be this development of bringing entertainment into the smaller communities. And you'd have even some places that built large amphitheaters uh, for outdoor theater during that time period. So the Victorian era was a, a very different time period for entertainment. There were melodramatic plays, there were musical ensembles that traveled, there were um, Shakespearean plays that came through, and there was a whole mix of everything else in between. There was a lot of uh, smaller dramatic type performances, but it was always more of a vaudeville type level of entertainment that was typically started out east and it worked its way towards the west and they went as far as the railroads would take them out west. So the railroads had a profound impact on entertainment. Also, it had an impact on sports because you start having Sports were developed during that time. The, the, the sport of cricket over in England was developed during the Victorian era. Uh, baseball in the United States began in the Victorian era. Outdoor uh, tennis began to be popular and, as a sport. And Wimbledon, the, the first Wimbledon championship was played in London in 1877. And the first Olympic Games were started in 1896. This was a period of sports and also international sports between different countries were made possible by the railroads that were developed during the Victorian era. And so it's a very fascinating change in history when you look at all of these things. And there's a lot of things that happen in terms of clothing and culture and uh, religion and politics during that time period that you could spend all day researching. And it is one of those fascinating periods that um, I always enjoy reading about. And probably most of the, my earliest research that you'll find in my YouTube videos, you see that I spend a lot of time in the 1800s period because that was the Victorian era and it was a lot of fascinating changes and a lot of interesting things happening. It was just a very fascinating period to research and find stories about because you have this pioneer spirit and this entrepreneurship, developing new ways of doing things. And in Southwest Michigan, we had a lot of mills that established themselves during early period of the 1830s to 1850s that established a lot of the communities. And the mills transformed from water mills to eventually to electric power mills. And the types of mills grew from the original mills, which were typically lumber mills and grist mills, to clothing mills and cider mills and you have the whole wine industry that followed so there's just a, a fascinating shift in the whole culture of the united states during the victorian era and it's just one of those wonderful periods to look at you see the origins of so much that we take for granted in modern day culture that came from that period of time and had its beginnings during that time. And because of the rise in improvements in medicine and the increase in industrialization, people moving into the cities and 
better health and longer lifespans. You also see a population increase during this period of time. And so the culture changes as well. And then when we look at December, as we are in right now, we think about the holidays and the Christmas time period. And no period in history had a more profound influence on our modern Christmas celebrations than the Victorian era. During these years, England and the United States went from predominantly rural communities to the height of the Industrial Revolution. And the whole social fabric of the society changed. And as I mentioned before, the new middle class emerged into what became crowded cities. And people during this time period began to look for an, an idealized past where life was much simpler. And you'll find that family Christmas observances began to be celebrated in literature. Clement Moore's The Night Before Christmas was published in 1822, and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol was published in 1843. And during the same time period, you see the revival and the interest of choral singing and rediscovering of long-lost Christmas carols. And many of the favorite religious Christmas carols that we still are familiar with today, like the first Noel, and it came upon a midnight clear, and O come all ye faithful, and we three kings. These were all written during the Victorian period of England. And additionally, during that period of time with the Christmas celebrations was the development of the sending of Christmas cards. This became a tradition during the Victorian era and also decorating the house and trimming the tree and celebrating the legend of Santa Claus and enjoying an elaborate family dinner and extending charity. And these were all things that came into existence during the Victorian era surrounding the Christmas time holidays. And the Victorian era also saw the glorified ideal family, the importance of children, and Christmas became the perfect family holiday as a result. And it was also the ideal opportunity to show off the family's material wealth, which became an important consideration during this somewhat materialistic period of time. And as I mentioned before, the story of Santa Claus came into existence during the Victorian era. It originally was started with the St. Nicholas, who lived in the 3rd century, and he was noted for giving anonymous gifts to widows and poor children. And he died on December 6th, which became the day of his feast. And over the centuries, St. Nicholas became revered for his selfless generosity and his fame spread across many European nations. And his legend became intertwined with pagan legends about the spirit of winter. And St. Nicholas was often depicted as a tall, thin, white-bearded man dressed in furs, frequently accompanied by reindeer. So historically, the relationship between the image of the Christian saint and the pagan symbol for winter was not always a comfortable one. So it, was, it wasn't until 1821 when Reverend Clement Moore wrote a poem for children called The Night Before Christmas, which combined the pagan folklore and the Christian saint. And in this poem alone, he created the ideal of what we know today as Santa Claus. So between the 1860s and 1880s, American cartoonist Thomas Nast drew a series of images of Santa Claus. And he drew him as a jolly elf dressed in red. And this image combined with the English 
and German traditions of Father Christmas, who visited children on Christmas Eve, became the origins of what we modernly call Santa Claus. And this red-cheeked Santa in a white-trimmed hat was perfected in the 1920s by Norman Rockwell, and in the 1930s by the Coca-Cola ads drawn by artist Hayden Sundblom. And so that's an interesting uh, evolution of Santa Claus, and it had a lot of change during the Victorian era. Also, the Christmas tree, as we know it today, grew from German traditions of decorating trees, and it became associated with Christianity during this time period. And there's a lot of history between that. Before the Civil War, the majority of Christmas trees were small, and they were often displayed on tables. By the 1880s, larger trees became a status symbol. So towering trees overloaded with decorations, tinsel, garlands, and toys reaching the ceiling of Victorian parlors. This became a huge status symbol during the Victorian era. And by the beginning of the 20th century, electric lights began to appear on the Christmas trees, which significantly reduced the danger of fire from burning candles because those early Christmas trees, the larger they got, they had candles lighting them up. And so fires were a part of the early Victorian era around Christmas time. They had to be very careful with that. And of course, during the highlights of the Christmas celebration, the elaborate dinner came into play, and this was served for as many members of the family and friends that could fit around a dining room table. This became an annual tradition, and it also included a multi-course feast, which served after returning from church on a Christmas morning and often took several hours to consume. So this was the type of Christmas celebration you would see during the Victorian era in terms of meals. In an article that I received from the Battle Creek Historical Society about the Kimball House, one of the early turn-of-the-century Christmas meals that were served around the holidays began with the first course of oyster soup. The next course was a huge turkey. At one end of the long table, there was mashed potatoes, gravy, squash, cranberry sauce, pickles, and currant jelly, which were passed around by a maid who wore an apron and a cap. There was cabbage salad and vegetables on the side of all of the dishes. And then there were desserts of pies, which consisted of mince pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie, and thin cheese slices and fat dried raisins and cracked nuts, along with coffee and thick pieces of luscious layer cake. Often it was lemon or chocolate. Oh man, are you just getting uh, hungry as you listen to this? I'm kind of feeling that way. Makes me want to just uh, starve myself for a month and then go to Christmas dinner. And Christmas dinners often ended with a dramatic presentation of the plum pudding. And plum pudding took often a preparation period of five days to prepare it for this feast. It was quite a process to prepare plum pudding. So the Victorian era had a, an amazing impact on the world as we know it today. So it's one of the periods of time that I find most fascinating to research when I look into history stories. And it had a significant impact on Michigan itself, not only the culture that came across from Europe, but the changes of people and uh, the migration of people from the European continent 
to the United States during that period that brought a lot of culture with them and changes to um, how we do things and, and some of the things that we've become accustomed to today. But also the Industrial Revolution that happened during that period changed the dynamic of the entire country. And it brought about years of prosperity in the long term. And I particularly enjoy researching the Christmas period at this time of year of the Victorian era. Which brings me to mention that I am part of a very special program at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum that is taking place on December 17th. And we are holding two showings of this special evening. It'll be at 2 p.m. on Saturday, December 17th. And the second show is at 6 p.m. So we call the 2 p.m. show our matinee and the 6 p.m. our evening show. Tickets are still available as I record this podcast, although they are selling very quickly. I will include information about where you can buy tickets in the description of the podcast episode here. Uh, I'll mention it quickly here. You can buy tickets currently at the three Battle Creek Honor Credit Union locations if you want to get tickets. There are some tickets still available at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, but they're probably going to be sold out by the time this episode airs. There are a few tickets available at the Art Center of Battle Creek and the Big B Coffee location out at Fort Custer on Hill Brady Road also has tickets for sale. And if you live in the Union City area, the Union City Society for Historical Preservation has some tickets because we have three Union City performers in the show. So I gave them some tickets to sell down there to some of the people down there that may want to come up and see them perform. But it is going to be a fun evening presenting a lot of Christmas stories and poems from the Victorian era that were published in Battle Creek newspapers as well as Michigan newspapers, and there are a few surprises from around the United States. So it's going to be a wonderful evening. Got a lot of great presenters. Um, If you're familiar with Dave Eddy, who was on WBCK Radio for four decades here in Battle Creek, he's also been a guest on my podcast here a couple of times so far. He will be in the performance. Also, Bobby Mathis, who's been a guest on my podcast numerous times so far, she will be performing in the show. Also, Brian McCombs, who's been a guest on my podcast as well, and his wife, Jill McCombs, and Donna Rickman, who is somebody I've been meaning to try to get on my podcast as a guest, but our schedules never seem to cross the right way. But I hope to have her on sometime next year. She has been a reenactor for Sojourner Truth for about 10 years, and she's also one of the volunteers at the Historical Society of Battle Creek, as well as a board member at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, along with myself. So she's quite an amazing lady. And the entire cast is going to bring an entirely new level of fun and entertainment on the evening. So you definitely want to see if you can get yourself some tickets to the show, if you can. And I would love to see you there. I will be also performing in it, as I mentioned. So um, it is going to be a fabulous evening. And I really enjoy seeing people respond to these hilarious stories and tales and some of them are funny some of them are corny some of them are a little bit somber and sad so we've got a a mix of just about everything but we're trying to make it as uh, uplifting as we can and enjoyable but that's going to conclude today's episode as i explore the victorian era 
and its impact on Michigan. And I hope that you will mark your calendars for December 17th and seek out tickets and be at the performance because I'd love to meet some of the people that listen to my podcast. And you can always reach out to me at michaeldelaware.com if you have any questions or suggestions or just want to tell me a story of local history or maybe even recommend a guest that I seek out for a future interview. And I'm always happy to hear from you. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another fascinating tale of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. 